up, everybody? This is Shiragam, and I want to welcome you to the latest episode of the Hashishin. Today, we're going to be kicking it with Ken Wall for episode 14. First, I want to give love to the people making this possible, our Patreon community. For the new members, thank you for joining us. And for the people who've continued to support us, thank you for continuing to believe in us. As I said in the past, we love putting these episodes out, and we'll continue to do so as long as we can. Our community is 40 strong now only 10 people away from our initial goal of 50. So to each and every one of you, thank you. This wouldn't be possible without you. I know I keep saying that, but it's only because it's true. We've reached our one year anniversary, which is crazy, but awesome. Uh, We love seeing people all over the world listening, and we love getting feedback from people and seeing that the content actually benefits people in some way. That's honestly one of the coolest parts of doing this. We've had almost over 30,000 downloads in the first year, which is unbelievable to us. And although we're not about the downloads, we are about creating awareness in the community. So thank each and every one of you for listening and making this possible as well. In commemoration of our first year, we've created some artwork, which is turned into a poster. And it's based on the guests that we had in 2019. We have that available on our Patreon for patrons only. So if you're interested in it, feel free to check it out. It's also on our Instagram if you'd like to see it. We have something special in store for you guys in April, it being 420 and 42020, so 420 all month long. We're going to have two episodes, one at the beginning of the month and one on 420, so keep your ears peeled for that. I wanted to give a shout out to Levi from Low Temp Plates and to Ken for having me to their first educational class. And to the nine people who took time to write written iTunes reviews, I'm really thankful for your time, and I appreciate you doing that. As I've said many times, if you can't support us financially via Patreon, you can always support us by leaving a written review. We love hearing from you guys. As always, feel free to follow us on our Instagram, the Hashish In, that's I-N-N. And always feel free to check out our Patreon just patreon.com backslash the hashish in that's inn thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the episode welcome to the 14th episode of the hashishin i'm your host shirag mamir today i'm excited to have ken wall uh, based out of denver colorado if you want to follow ken on instagram his instagram now is k3 n n n w a l l Ken, thanks so much for taking time to sit down, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So you are coming fresh off your first class, I guess. How are you feeling today? <laughs> uh, yeah, the, cl- the class was amazing. I'm feeling good. It was a, went a little later than I thought it was going to, which is great. Um, I got to shake, I think, everyone's hand and meet everyone personally, um, which was my biggest goal to like really thank everyone for coming. A lot of people came from Florida and California and all over and even drove here like yourself. So thank you, you know, real quick once again to everybody who did that. That's huge and got me even a little emotional when I was thanking people because it's kind of just like a dream come true to be able to do something like that and especially in a smaller city like this. But as far as how I feel, yeah, I'm feeling good, good today, man. I feel motivated and I um, feel good about, you know, how things are going out here and for myself. And, um, yeah, a little tired, though. <laughs> yeah, it went pretty late. Yeah. But I, I felt like it was a really good class, mm-hmm. and especially for being your first. 
it was informative. And I think you guys went into detail about a lot of stuff, you know, as much as you can in like yeah. four or five hours. So, you know, for the people that I guess aren't aware of the class, mm -hmm. it was here in, in Tulsa, yeah. which kind of was an interesting choice. Uh, and I talked to Levi from Low Templates, who you kind of did this in conjunction with. And he said that one of the reasons you guys picked Tulsa is because their laws right now are kind of in an interesting space. Yes, a very interesting space. I can kind of elaborate on that a little bit, or well, at least like why we picked the sure. location. Um, yeah, we kind of just started talking about doing like private consultations and things like that. There was some interest in that out here as well as other places. And we just saw that there was a lot of interest here. So we started looking up and reaching out to people about kind of what's going on here and the laws and regulations and the lack of <laughs> and um, of what's going on and things like that. So actually, Andrew, the owner of that coffee shop we were at, reached out to us and said he had a venue and everything and that he already had a bunch of people interested and that it could really work. So Levi kind of brought it up to me about the class idea. And at first I was kind of, I wasn't against it. It's just not something that's in my like wheelhouse. But then after talking with like family and friends and stuff, I kind of realized that when I talk about things I love, I can uh, speak well and things like that and not really um, be as anxious, still a little anxious about it, you know? So that's kind of where it came from is um, just the interest and everything. And um, only having like 3000 followers right now and then Levi having about 14 or I think or something like that you know it was really interesting that there was so much just so much interest in a smaller city like Tulsa like you said so I really jumped at it I'm from a small city I looked here and it looked like kind of the same vibe as like Colorado and just way more humid <laughs> and hot you know uh, so I don't know it was, it was just a cool opportunity and that's kind of where it came from out of the blue and I'm really glad I took it because I mean Last night, once again, was just a really special moment, you know? Yeah, and speaking about kind of the interest, it's interesting that, like you said, people came out from different places mm -hmm. to check this out. And then the other thing that Levi and I talked about was how quickly tickets were moving. And you guys ended up actually selling the class out and I think even added some spots in at yeah. the end, which, funny enough, that's how I got in. I got one of those last yeah, uh, drop tickets. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But, um, yeah, con you know, congrats on the class. Thank and you. To yeah. both you and Low Templates. Uh, yeah. I, like I said, I thought you guys did a cool job. So thank you again, man. It was, yeah, just really cool event. And thank you to everyone. And Andrew from uh, the coffee shop, thank you very much uh, again. And everyone for the opportunity. Uh, Tyler, uh, Terp Dog Millionaire on Instagram, he provided the material, uh, some fresh frozen GMO that did really, really well. And uh, also... He gave us some hash from a previous run of GMO, and uh, we pressed that as well. Our man Cliff came by with some flowers. I believe uh, Mac Dosey was one of them, and then there was a uh, some sort of OG, I believe, too. I can't remember what the... Oh, no, it was like a wedding cake? I don't think it was a wedding cake, but I don't remember what it was. It was something cake, yeah, maybe Dosey cake or something like that, okay. but very beautiful flowers, and we pressed about an ounce of each and came out really good. So, yeah, thank you to Cliff and Jason and Andy and... Yeah, thank you for having me once again. So everyone just here has been really amazing. Outside of the class, throughout the years, keeping up with you, which at times is difficult because of the Instagram situation, which yes. we'll get into. But I've seen that you are kind of prone to being an educator 
to a degree, mm-hmm. right? So I've seen like you've done videos with different companies at different points, showing people how to do things, whether it's like pressing or so. Is that something that's always kind of been an interest of yours? That's a great question, man. Um, I've never really even, that's the first time I've really thought about it. it. I just have always really appreciated, you know, the open source information that certain people have put out. Like if it wasn't for, you know, Bubble Man and people like that, just making all these videos and back in the day, Matt Rise putting out, you know, information on how to do different techniques before freeze drying and stuff like that. We wouldn't all be here, you know, and doing what we do. But it wasn't really a conscious decision, you know, to start being an educator until this class. It wasn't really something that I was planning on doing. I just kind of noticed that on social media and in general, people had lots of questions about what I do. And I'm a very open book and I want to be transparent about what I do, especially, you know, providing good medicine and good concentrates for people who are paying pretty top dollar, you know, right now for for solventless concentrates and extracts. So uh, that's kind of just where that education came from is mostly questions being asked on social media about, you know, how long this goes in and how long do you agitate for and just kind of general questions. And honestly, (laughs) if you answer those questions and like those questions, you get better algorithm on Instagram and more people are going to want to follow you. And I like to be transparent once again and be a good guy. I'm not here to be secretive or anything like that. I hold dear to some of my techniques and things like that. But for the most part, like I said in the class last night, and I'll probably reiterate later, is I'm just a reflection of a grower. I'm a grower myself, so I'm always trying to grow better material so that I can make better hash. I'm not saying that everyone could make the same hash as I do from the same material, but, you know, very close to if you have the knowledge and just like little quick tips and like things that basic knowledge you know I tell people it's like they must think I'm kind of giving an offensive answer or something when I say but it's like how do I get started it's like man I just watched bubble man videos I was being taught how to make hash but when I couldn't ask like my partner Jibs and stuff like my one of my best friends like how to do certain things or if he didn't know I just go watch videos man and that was like a really cool thing or hash church things like that just immersing yourself in it you know and that's kind of just where it came from i just like to talk about hash and answer questions about hash i love it yeah that's cool so you know funny enough yesterday i i made a post uh, asking people something that they would like to hear from you or a question Uh that i like and along those lines i got a message from mother rock botanicals his question was why does he give away so much free tech Mm -hmm. you know and so i think you've kind of answered that yeah but it's interesting that you'd say that you also have some tech that, like, it's basically stuff that you are going to keep yeah. to yourself. Yeah, and it's not, say, like, even necessarily to, like, it's just little tips and tricks that I do that I'm not even going to tell you to, like, go away if you're in my lab or something while I do it. It's just um my experience from seeing so many different strains and running so many washes over the years and things like that. I'm just confident in my experience and I touched on it in the class last night as well as too. It's, um, it's knowing resin and knowing what the plant does with water and reacting to heat, pressure, hydrocarbons, other things like that. So I pride myself on knowing kind of just how the plant reacts to multiple extractions and knowing what to look for and things like that. That's why in the class last night, I get asked a lot of questions about temps and times and how long to agitate and what's the best 
temperature to wash in. It really just depends on what you're washing and, and you know, your environment should be cold. Below like 40 is kind of just excessive in my opinion. It's just cold, you know, and things like that. And we can touch on those kind of stuff like later, but there's nothing really special to it. It's just understanding that resin. I come from not the old school, old school, but the once again, bubble mans and things like that kind of before freeze dryers and stuff taught about properly dried resin and that being the most important because we don't have an easy way to do that until now. So uh, coming from that mentality, I kind of just like feel like I have a do a little have like a one up on certain things, just knowing that even if I didn't have a freeze dryer, I could make a stable hash that you could smoke in a few days, you know. So right. That's kind of just uh, once again, as I'm sure with a few lessons and stuff, somebody can almost make just as good a hash with really great material. So that's why I feel like giving away free tech or whatever you want to call it is just, it's open source information that if you just looked online, hashtags and stuff that you could find in a few hours, few minutes, you know, things like that. So you're going to find it eventually. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of information out there. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think sometimes it does take some digging and then other times there's a lot of misinformation as well, mm -hmm. you know, so I think you have to kind of find what's working and what's not. But yeah, I think you're can't right. can't believe everything you see on the internet or you read on the internet as well. Just, yeah, as I've always kind of pe tell people, and it's not offensive once again, but use your head and, you know, just you learn through experience, you know. If you start at a certain time, um, amount of hours on your freeze dryer and a certain temperature on your shelves and it comes out great, but you want it to be greasier, then adjust your temperatures, you know. Just, uh, I can't just give you the perfect answer is what I'm getting at, you right. know. It's like, I'll try my best. But I've had people come like, oh, I tried exactly what you said, but it didn't work. And like, okay, well, there's a thousand variables that I can't control as well. So right. that's where like kind of being educative is hard. But I do try and give my best responses at the same time. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because you and I were talking earlier about this idea of like the guys who've been making water hash maybe more like on a commercial scale for the last or I guess for six to ten years, let's mm -hmm. say, mm -hmm. kind of being the OGs of this new school of hash making, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. you were like, yeah, you know, I don't necessarily feel like an OG, but maybe in that sense, because obviously hash has been around for a long, long time, mm -hmm. just this new kind of way about going about making it. Yeah, like you rosin and freeze dryers like we brought up and temperature control in fresh frozen is huge that was like kind of what my brother and jibs and i were like famous for when we started is like we were trying to just convince everyone to freeze plants i was very special and uh, very blessed to, the first time i made hash was with fresh frozen it was two crazy things at once it was like wait a minute you froze that weed right after you harvested it you didn't let it hang or anything and then also we're gonna stick this in ice and water this is crazy like i'd I, you know, I was like, why don't we just dry this out and smoke it? You know? <laughs> like, I had no idea, you know, that that, that would work. And, yeah, it was just, um, I'd say that was the biggest thing if I was to be, like, you know, an OG or whatever of any type of timeline. I'd feel like, I guess, that was, like, kind of what my biggest contribution was to the scene in the last, like, six, seven years or so. Like, uh, I think it was 2013, late when I started. Since then, I've... Yeah, it's been really hard to convince people and understand, like, you know, 3% yield compared to, like, a 15% yield 
because of like wet weight to dry weight and things like that. Um, so it's just educating. And once again, I think it was just like built into my job to kind of touch on the last question. It's like people didn't understand what full melt six star hash was or how to freeze plants. This is once again before rosin uh, and before freeze dryers too. So explaining someone that we're just, you know, explaining to someone we're going to freeze your weed and then make it into a bubble hash that's not actually bubble hash, but it is, <laughs> but it's super melty and it's going to look white and powdery and stuff was really hard to explain to people, you know, like, okay, well, can we come check it out then? And at that time it was very secretive. It wasn't open information about stuff and how you do things. So it was like, not really, <laughs> you know, you can come by and kind of see how, how we do things, but some of like the microplaning and, and stuff like that, we held deer and even employees and things would have to wait like a few months to even learn how to do those things. So I don't know, that's like just to touch on that last one. I yeah. now thinking about it, the educative thing probably came from that, like coming and being like, man, you should freeze that plant. Why, you know, why do we do that? And then I'm going to get three or 4% on this. You know, I mean, no, no sense. But uh, once people start seeing the conversions and the actual money and stuff like that, it makes sense. Yeah. And in 2013, where was this concept of like frozen coming from? Okay. So I can definitely touch on that. It was like a very beautiful kind of uh, environment to start in once again. So I know Jibs kind of touched on this on, on his episode and stuff. And just real quick to touch on that is where I came from and stuff. And it goes into this is um, I was a chef beforehand, traveled and stuff and did pretty well as a chef. Um, I just was unhappy with the hours and just wasn't really feeling inspired anymore by my career. And I'm a very like, if I don't love what I'm doing every day, I'm just not going to do it. I, I need to love it, you know, and really be into it. So I believe it was the day after Christmas, yeah, 2013, that I had to go to work at like five in the morning and I just like almost broke down in the car, called my wife and I was like, I'm just gonna, you know, actually go make cash and stuff. You know, it's like my brother Jibs, um, he's actually not my blood brother, but we've known each other for 16, I think almost 17 years now. And uh, we've been through the craziest things in life together. And he's married me and, like, uh, baptized my son and all this stuff. So we're very, very close. Um, so anyways, he was trying to get me out of the uh, restaurant industry, um, being a great friend he is. And he's like, look, man, just come make cash with me. Like, we'll get you a job even if it's uh, growing. And this is at River Rock in Colorado at the time. And they were doing some really cool things. And I was like, yeah, man, maybe, maybe. So I just like broke down that day and I put in my like four weeks notice or something and I ended up not starting I think for another eight weeks or something making hash with him and I started I was just a packager you know obviously being friends with him I got to learn a little bit quickly you know and stuff and help him with washes and stuff like that but at the time he did have an apprentice that was working with him and we just started working together and about six months into it I already knew everything I was starting to microplane a little bit. I was mostly washing everything and stuff. And then we had to hire another employee because we were producing so much. Um, we were rushing dry as well for other dispensaries and things. And his deal with me was, look, if you, you know, expand this business, as at that time we were just River Rock, you know, and he was already producing River Rock's hash, you know, under a River Rock name and things like that, like he explained before. And uh, he's like, look, if you can bring some clients in, you know, outside dispensaries and things like that, we should start our own company and, you know, call it, you know, the 
trichum heavy extracts at the time is what it was called. And then we kind of, that acronym turned into T-H-E, the melts. Um, and we kind of went with that, you know, and stuff. So that was my huge opportunity. I mean, just thank you to him. And he knows that, like, he really changed my life, being able to allow me to become an owner with him. And I kind of didn't have, like, a huge business background, but I've always wanted to be, like, a business owner and, like, an entrepreneur and stuff. So I took what I knew from being a chef and being a leader, things like that, being in charge of, like, 40 people and writing their schedules and all all the things I learned from that into being a business owner. It was pretty crazy, you know, <laughs> like, uh, getting started. I was, like, 23 or 24 at the time, just had a son and bought bought a house and everything. So it was a, a very crazy part a very crazy time in my life and uh that's kind of just like how I started and that's where the fresh frozen came from also at that time these beautiful things were happening like giddy up and uh kind bill were also at river rock at that time um this is right after like bo johnson wasn't there anymore and uh this is when live resin was li- literally happening i know kind bill was the first person to run live resin i think uh, his trim team he wanted to congratulate them with something as a gift for like doing so well and he didn't have any dried plants to run his machine so he ran a frozen plant i think it was maybe either fresh or fresh frozen and he ran it and it came out this crazy color and it tasted amazing and he whipped it into like a live butter right there and all the button you know all the trimmers freaked out and they thought it was amazing so it was kind of this like real cool thing happening where river rock was like one of the only maybe the only people in at least the state i don't know how Say the nation, maybe like only a few that were actually freezing at that time. And, uh, and at least to my knowledge, once again, you know, being a part of the Colorado and kind of California scene, I'd never seen that, you know. So we had just plethora of like good fresh frozen to wash. We're really blessed once again to just be able to walk in and have multiple freezers full of like, you know, they had at that time 200 different strains, maybe more. So, you know, washing. And doing R&D on all that really helped both of us as hash makers to understand like what types of resin and what types of genetics work and don't. And we also at the beginning had the opportunity to, they had a greenhouse and we could literally go in there and mark a plant that we wanted for hash and they would harvest it for us and we'd have it the next day. So it was really blessed opportunity just to be able to like walk through and literally pick plants that you want to wash and, uh, it was just amazing, you know, like that was kind of, we would use that material in uh, travel all over the world, you know, and compete, you know, using that that hash from that material and stuff. And that's kind of just where we got our start, you know, with River Rock and Tony Verzer and stuff like that. And that's where the Fresh Frozen stuff all happened. So Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's so many things that I want to ask, but I'm curious, do you know why River Rock wanted to even start making bubble hash at that point? Um, yeah, Jibs, I think, may have touched on it a tiny bit. Like, he started as, like, um, working in the, the actually hydrocarbon side of things with River Rock just for a very small amount of time, like with Bo Johnson when he was around and things. And then uh, they kind of just were like, hey, what do you think about making bubble hash? I know Tony Vizera probably had, a, you know, the biggest part in that um, just because he loves solventless and still makes solventless to this day. Right. You know, with Blue River and things like that. So it was probably definitely came from that side of things. Tony was really the uh, the motivator and the entrepreneur, I feel like, behind the River Rock brand. There was other multiple owners and things like that, financiers and stuff. But 
he was the one really trying to push the brand and, uh, you know, on the medical side, really trying to help patients. And that was really, really, really cool when I first started. It was only medical. Just to touch on that, too, Jibs was a patient, and uh, we all deal with our things in life and things that have our own ailments and, and uh, issues and things like that. And he was going there and getting help uh, through their Act Now program, which is like a, you know, a nurse, a registered nurse or doctor, both would come in and on there, which even still is a very big thing for them to do that and put themselves out there like that. And they'd talk with cancer patients and other people with real deal ailments and diseases and things and actually make a plan for their yeah ailment with uh, serums and uh, tinctures. They would actually juice the leaves as well. And uh, so you get like unactive cannabinoids. For, and uh, we were talking at the class last night a little bit with the water that it has a good amount of um, anthocyanin, chlorophyll, which are natural, like uh, like blueberries and antioxidant. So like those are really good for like, you know, the cancer patients and people with Crohn's and stuff like that. So it was just really inspiring just environment, to be honest. Like, you know, uh, Tony had a lot of great ideas and actually pushing them forward, you know, was really cool. And just being a part of like that whole environment, seeing the live resin movement happen and then being a part of the whole Fresh Frozen thing was just so cool. Yeah. And then also, like you said, I think one of the unique things is you had at your disposal a massive amount of genetics and also the understanding that like, it almost seemed like it was experimental. Like, go mm-hmm. choose the plants, like you said. We'll take them down. You'll wash them. And if nothing comes back, then it's fine. You just move on to the next one, right? Yeah, exactly. And like being able to have that opportunity, you know, thank you to Tony. He knows, like, how, you know, thankful we are about the beginning of our career and stuff like that and giving us the opportunity. Um, he really allowed us, you know, to sometimes get that half percent yield and, find new techniques and things like that. Um, this is, once again, before freeze dryers, too, so it'll really let some kids, we were kids, you know, really experiment with material and stuff. Uh, that was really, really cool. I mean, Rare Dankness would, like, just was there and then left during that time, too. So right then they were, like, the hottest new thing out, you know, and um, having a bunch of archive strains, too, and... Uh, River Rock really worked with like the best of the best, like Chris uh, Chris Casas from Source Genetics, OG Cushman, all those, you know. So it was really cool. That's how I honestly got to meet all these people, going to Cups and stuff. They're like, oh, you work with River Rock? Well, I have these strains there. How do they do? And like, you know, getting to know these breeders and growers and things like that. Uh, yeah, that's just really where I think that whole relationship with this the community started. Yeah, that's cool, especially, you know, being able to kind of, have that interaction with the people who are reading these and then kind of giving them feedback as mm-hmm. a hash maker into how they're producing or not producing or profiles or, or exactly whatnot. exactly we don't have to get like super in depth but what were some of the genetics that you were working back then that are kind of <clears throat> memorable to you uh we ran a lot of dank commander i believe that was like a uh, a cat piss cross that rare dankness did it used to get me extremely anxious, and normally most strains don't. I don't know what it was about that. It's like kind of like a sour, too. It's just a very, like, in-your-head strain. Okay. It tastes so amazing, you know? We used to run a lot of OG-18, Scott's OG, Skywalker. Even, you know, for for the people, we used to run, like, Flow, Colorado Flow back in the day. I don't see it much around anymore, which is great. <laughs> 
you know, even back then, a lot of, you know, Blue Dream and um, Sours. But then even say that was mostly at River Rock, you know, and then they had a bunch of really cool strains. Um, Blue OG, Moonshine Haze, some Jelly Bean, which was like one of the original more like orangey strains, you know, like with Agent Orange and things like that. That was more like River Rock. And then Jibs and I used to travel and go process in California a good bit around that same time and work with like Green Wolf and things like that, where we've got a bunch of awards with as well. And OG Cushman, Source Genetics and stuff. So like Schlemmens is one of my favorite. Um, Pikey, Cookie Monster. I haven't ran any of those strains in years, man. But uh, that was some of the strains back in the day that we used to wash, you know, a lot of glue when that first came out. That was like the ultimate, you know, uh, strain back in the day for any type of hash, you know. It's like, yeah, I remember it was pretty popular. And it was the easiest to grow, you know, and things like that. So when that came out, lots and lots of that. Straw Nana, when that was starting to come out, Strawberry Banana. And, uh, yeah, things like that, Tangy Crosses. Those were kind of like what was hot back then. Even Straw Nana now is kind of like one of the best hash strains and still like a great stable flavor for people. Yeah, it's you see it's still around for sure. California isn't huge on it <laughs> anymore. You know, it's kind of like the blue dream I hear out there. I haven't gone out there and processed as much as I used to. So most of my experience is from the years back and stuff like that. But uh, from what I've heard, it's not as popular as it used to be. It's still right. very popular in Colorado. Yeah, it's funny how like regionally the markets and the tastes are yeah. different. You know? Yeah, I was talking to someone last night and they... Uh, they said uh, there's so much GMO in Michigan that people won't even buy it. They're like, you know, wow, that hash looks great, but I can't sell it, so I'm sorry. You know, come back with some other flavors. And that's crazy to me. I grow a lot of GMO at my grow, a single source in Colorado, and personally and things like that. So it's funny to me. It's literally one of my favorite strains. It's just uh, trends come and go, but those tried and true strains will never go away. Like GMO is not going anywhere. Same thing with OGs. Maybe people like, Oh, it's just OGs, you know, like I like a little more flavor, fruity flavors and things like that. I mean, I would smoke OGs every day, you know, so it's just interesting. Yeah, regionally how things change like that. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. You know, touching on you being a chef, you know, how long were you in the industry? Not too long. I actually started culinary school really early in life. I went to culinary school at 17. I got out of high school early and uh, tested out and got like scholarship scores and went to Johnson and Wales for a bit and went to culinary school. I only went for a little bit and uh, ended up leaving and just working in the industry. Once you kind of like get in that industry, especially now, I recommend going to culinary school and getting that like college experience and things like that, you know, now being an adult. But if you want to be a good chef, you need to go work in the industry, especially if you know the basics already, you know, knife skills and things like that, uh, how to food costs. They're very simple things. I think, you know, just just like with hash making, there's a few basics you need to know. And then from there, you can kind of develop your own styles and uh, just be confident in cooking in general and then hash making, you know. So it's the same thing with both. There's things that, like, once again, that I would do differently and stylistically and methodically, you know, for both that other people wouldn't do, which puts me apart. So I, I think it just kind of, like, went hand in hand you know, being a chef, I was only a chef, let's see, from like professionally from like 17 to 23, you know, a good like five, six years or so. But I was only like a line cook or so for like a year or two and then was a sous chef the rest of the time. When I actually left cooking, I was either going to 
stay and like because at the time right when I left to become a hash maker I was doing like a supper club to try to like test out restaurant ideas with people like 20 30 people dinners and with people with money and things like that to see if they would like to invest and it just wasn't going it was going all right but I could see that it was going to take a long time and I didn't want to work in the industry as a cook or a chef anymore it's just working with somebody I wanted to be a business owner that was really stuck in my head it really pushed me like you know, Matt Rise, once again, was like a chef and my partner Jibs was like also, you know, in the culinary, you know, in the restaurant industry and stuff like that. So it just seemed like a really easy transition. I could use my skills for the same thing. Yeah. So you talked about kind of how it, they somewhat parallel each other to some degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of the skills specifically that you feel that you brought over that really translated well for hash? Uh, we kind of talked earlier, not on the podcast, about, like, I just feel like I'm really good with my hands. So, you know, at that time, microplaning and things like that was, like, I thought I was going to be a badass at it, to be honest. Like, uh, I thought I could just jump right in. Being very, very skilled at that time and being fresh off being a chef, I was felt very confident and stuff in my skills. And the first time I put a patty to the microplane, I did it all wrong. I probably got yelled at by Jibs and we never yelled at each other, you know. So it, it took a lot and it humbled me and stuff like that, you know. But being able to, like, at least handle all those, you know, spoons and, like, microplanes and sheet trays, parchment paper, knowing how they react to, once again, heat and just cold and, you know, just general skills like that, baking racks and walk-ins, you know, cooling rooms. Um, it was just a lot of things that kind of transferred over from being a chef, you know heats and stuff like that ovens yeah that was all just kind of like stuff i was used to and that's where it kind of came from scissors blades knives (laughs) you know yeah so yeah it was just kind of like those kind of skills in general and then just yeah i like everything anything with my hands i love doing you know so that was kind of where it came from i wanted to take another opportunity to thank our patreon community for making this possible and give a shout out to some of our biggest contributors including Hashmakers union 73 jensen aka alkaline mango Kevin of Lifted and Dina, Kyle, a.k.a. The Full Melt Fiend, Garrett, Daniel out of Connecticut, the ever-supportive Gen Doe 420, the cool dudes from Mission Melts, Burp and Terps out of Washington, Sunshine Extracts out of Colorado, Ryan in Michigan, Jeff in California, and Chris in Florida. Thank you all for believing in us and helping us keep this alive. Now back to the episode. Also, when you were talking about that, you mentioned that, like, Whatever you do, whether it's being a chef, making hash, mm-hmm. or skateboarding, uh, fingerboarding, fingerboarding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you want to be the best at it. Yeah, at least the best you can. Yeah, the best I can. You know, like I don't want to like. I'm just a competitive person by nature too, and uh, I like to just be the best and like, you know, not necessarily like I, it's a thing that I want to be better than anybody. It's that I just like. You know, say like when you make food, I want it to taste the best, you know, or when I make hash, I want it to, yeah, taste the best and be presented the best. Um, I just don't like doing sloppy work. I was taught that at a really early age, you know, by my parents and just uh, wanting to be a chef. And when I was a chef, I'm a third generation chef. So it was just something that was always instilled in me. So I don't know, man. It's just, I think everybody, no matter what you do, you should work hard at what you do, you know. Um, no matter what it is, you know, it's, I don't get why you do anything if you don't want to be good at it, you know? Yeah, no, (laughs) that's just my personality. I agree with you, but yeah, you know, I don't, 
I don't know that everybody looks at things that way. You know? Yeah, yeah, agreed. So you mentioned a little earlier that there's a few basic things you need to know to be at least a decent hash maker. Mm -hmm. What are those basic things? That's a good question. Um, I'd say, you know, once again, it's just more knowledge of the resin and understanding how it reacts to everything. Um, that's experience. Just if you are wanting to start and you don't have much knowledge right now, just, you know, like I did, I, I humbled myself and took myself away from my good paying job and went and worked for like 10, 11 bucks an hour, even though my friend wanted to pay me much, much more and wanted to help me out. And he worked with me and like I made a sacrifice and so did he, you know, so. I think being able to make those sacrifices in life really puts you ahead. You know, like um, you can't just expect to, you know, say, get a few hours done in a class, like say last night and be the best hash maker in the world. I tried to give as much knowledge as possible. And I'm sure people try to soak up as much as possible, but it's just experience. That's what I've learned in anything. Try to work with the best people. You know, I get people that hit me up all the time, like once a month. Just to be like, hey, I know you're not hiring right now, but are you hiring now? No, I'm not, but I, you're at the top of the stack because I like how you are and you're motivated and you're really hungry, you know? So just keep that in mind, you know? Like, uh, we don't always think that if you reach out to one of your favorite hash makers, you're going to get a response. But most of the time, say with me, you will. Um, it just takes me a little bit. They're very specific questions, you know, and hard to, to answer and things like that, but... I do my best, you know, and I think that's the way to do it is like try and ask as many questions as you can and be mindful on social media right now. It's like everyone, even if they don't explain how they're doing it, look at their hashtags, look at the background, you know, see what kind of ovens they're using. You know, like I show things in the background of my pictures all the time, like how I wrap things. You can see like my little pouches of my about to be pouches of rosin in the press, you know, and things like that. I just am really mindful of what I see in people's stories and like people posting pictures of their lab, I'll stop it, you know, take screenshots and like see like, oh, wow, that's really cool. I'd say that's how you learn, you know, the basics and stuff like that. Once again, Bubble Man videos are great. Look up Bubble Man's world on YouTube. He has, I think, like a million plus followers now. Go on there and just go back to the earlier videos of like how to make water hash, you know, how to make bubble hash, things like that. Um just so you understand, like, what it looks like to put water in, I'm sorry, weed in water and ice, you know, and uh, just how the micron sizes work and things like that, you know. Um, I think that's the best way, you know. The basic knowledge you need is just, you know, how to grow good cannabis or working with good growers and stick it in some ice and water, move it around and harvest it with some bags, man. That's really it. It's on honestly, it's, like I said, it doesn't take... A lot of knowledge to exactly do what we do, you know. I can teach anybody how to like at least wash hash and make hash, but having the drive and the passion to make it better is a more rare thing, I think. So that's where I guess once again, like people like me and Cuban and Jibs and all those uh, great hash makers, like I think that's what kind of puts them above everyone else or to in another group because it's like their life. They live it. They think about it. They dream it. You can just be a great hash maker and just work with good material. It really is just like great genetics, great harvested material, fresh, you know, like that's how you make great hash, knowing the basics. Just like with food, once again, if you have beautiful, amazing starting ingredients, as long as you just like heat it right and you know the basics of, okay, like I need to sear the skin on this salmon or like make sure I get a nice browning on this braise before I braise it. Just the little basics of those things. 
you can create those flavors and make your own flavors and things like that, you know? So yeah, it kind of goes hand in hand once again. Yeah. And I've said kind of in the past, like that's one of the things that I find unique about like water hash making, right? Is like this personal touch, like you said, almost like cooking, right? Where, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the starting material has to be great. I mean, that's basically what you're going to be representing, right? In a concentrated form. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it takes kind of a, a delicate handling of all these different factors mm-hmm. to make it as good as it can be, per se. Yeah, correct. Just to kind of like when you when you said that, it was kind of touch on, you know, people like, oh, this is made by Cuban and this is made by Ken Wall or Nicotee and things like that. It's kind of like a, a branding in and of itself, you know. People know what to expect, like when they get a certain product from a certain person and a certain hash maker. And I think that's where that kind of comes from. It's like the good hash makers always are consistent. We're trying to make the best product out of the material that we get as possible. I think that's what kind of, once again, puts us apart is that anybody can put stuff in ice and water and mix it around three times, 15-minute cycles, whatever, and just the knowledge that somebody gave them. It's coming up with the techniques that work for that grower, that work for that material. That's what's important, you know, and that's why I think people stick with those brands and those certain hash makers is, you know, and that's why I try so hard to be loyal to my patients and customers and clients and growers and things like that, because it is it takes a lot of synergy to make that happen. A lot of energy and like most of my growers are like my best friends and things like that, too, because I have to like really work with them on everything to be able to create the best product, get the best yield and things like that. So once again, if I was to give advice on how to make yourself a better hash maker, it's become best friends with a great grower, you know, or become a great grower yourself and things like that. Um, yeah, you're just a reflection of what's there. I can't add more resin, you know. We used to, Jibs and I used to make fun. People would ask us how our hash was so melty back in the day and stuff like that. And we'd say we just add melty powder, like GMO <laughs> melty powder and stuff like that. And people would be like, what is that? Where can I find that? You know, and it's just trolling people and having a little fun and stuff like that. But it's just honestly, once again, great material. There's no other answer. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, since we're talking about growing and good starting material, you right now are doing your work with Single Source mm-hmm. uh, Colorado. And this is a relationship that started about, what, like maybe half a year ago or so? Um, so we started making hash about a half a year ago. We've been growing for about a year. For the first few months, we were having to sell fresh frozen and dried weed and stuff like that because we couldn't, didn't have the licensing or the opportunity to uh, actually produce hash uh, in Colorado that just, you know, multiple licenses and things for that. So, yeah, we've actually, it's my partner Tony and I and also um, our friend Logan He's more like the financing side and sales and things like that. And then my partner, Tony, is on the cultivation side. Um, you can find him on Instagram, Tony Karras. Grows some of the best weed in Colorado, some of the best in the nation, some of the best in the world. We both have a lot of awards together locally and stuff like that in Colorado. We just kind of got together the first time we processed about about three years ago when I was with Concentrate Supply Company and Nomad Extracts and things like that, built, helping build that brand. The first time I washed it, I was like, this is just next level. This is covered in resin. Like, uh, got some great yields. He was rocking all these, uh, 
He comes from this dispensary back in the day called Cam uh, Alternative Medicine. Okay. They were kind of the shit back in the day, and uh, they had the best, like, dried mint flowers, and they won all their awards and stuff like that for their strains. And they kind of had all the elites, clone only, 92 OG, Hell's Own, Hell's Angel, you know, all the, they have, like, 13 OGs, and still to this day, maybe even more. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, exactly, and verified cuts, you know, all the headbands and things like that, so... It was just all these my favorite strains, and then he was open to, like, popping new packs and stuff like that. Then we just started hanging out, winning awards. Um, I'm, like, his Padawan for fishing, and he's, like, my Padawan for hash making, you know. And um, he's taught me a lot about growing as well and things like that. We have different techniques, you know, and things like that that, that we do and stuff, but we kind of met in the middle. And it's mostly his, like, recipes and technique and stuff with it little bit of my love and you know like tech in there a little bit but yeah so that relationship started about three years ago single source itself has been a company for about a year this okay. month uh, i believe the 17th is our one year anniversary we're gonna celebrate by going fishing like i was telling you and, yeah uh, it's right around my birthday as well too so yeah man that's kind of how that started i can kind of touch on that if you want real quick like what we do sure um you know so single source just like the name we uh, grow all our own cannabis it's all for fresh frozen all for solventless so it's just some been my dream since being a hash maker and having like one light two lights then four lights six lights you know just to really expand that single source concept because just being a hash maker for the last however long before single source, you know, five years, six years or whatever, I was having to deal with um, other people's material, uh, which at some points can be great. Some points can be really horrible. It's just having to find and educate those people like we started with was was hard. And it, it just wasn't producing enough money, you know, like uh, losing clients, you know, to live resin was a big thing, too. You know, it's like because of the higher yields and things, too. So that's just kind of where, you know, like that came from is being able to like control your own destiny. That was a huge goal of mine. So uh, we have about almost 100 lights. Yeah, all for Fresh Frozen, all for solving this. Right now, we're rocking about 13 different strains, a few like elite clone onlys, and mostly like seed pops that I've done with either Tony or by myself or uh, one of my best friend grower friends, a grower unknown. He goes by RMM Grows right now. He's in Florida doing some projects. Um, I started SBS, small batch specialist with him and a friend as well. So yeah, just like uh, like the cookies and cream, sweeties, sour banana dub, gas tanker, a lot of oni seed stuff. You know, mostly hairy palms who like kind of split from oni seed. Him and I had some awards from Chalice and stuff like that, and he does his own hash making now, and he pretty much breeds almost specifically for hash making strains for a water hash. So having a friend like that, and also a guy who hooks you up with seeds and allows you to hunt and give feedback and stuff. Uh, is really once again a blessing and I'm really blessed to be able to have that opportunity and people like that in my life, you know, to they give me those opportunities. Um Archive Seeds is another huge one. He makes some of the best hash strains in the world. Um he's focused on resin and flavor, you know. Um so those are probably my two that we run most of, you know, and then some verified OGs and things like that. So yeah, single source is like a dream come true. We're dropping medical only right now. We do a little bit of recreational when we can. Just waiting on licensing and stuff like that for Rex. So, cool. Yeah. You know, I'm curious how growing informs your hash making, and how your hash making informs your growing. It is so hand in hand, man. Like, um, 
that's what's really been cool. It's like I try to be in the grow at least 20, 30 hours a week because just being in the lab that amount too and having a family, you know, and I'm trying to really balance my life out and things. Um, but I try and be in the grow and really I, I like to do the uh, propagation side of things, bring in new genetics, pop new genetics. And then also like I take care of all the clones and mostly the moms and things like that right now. I just like giving things a good, healthy start, you know, and things in a literally being a better grower translates to being a better hash maker. Once again, you know, not to just keep reiterating that, but if you learn more about the resin on the plant and what genetics produce that resin and you already know how to wash, once again, you're only going to make better hash. So, yeah, they go very hand in hand. If you're a better grower, you're getting better yields growing and more resin, you're going to be a better hash maker. Cool. So a couple of things. One is going back to this idea of like regional preferences on flavors. Mm -hmm. When you guys are growing what you're growing with single source right now, mm -hmm. are you in a way catering to the market or do you guys kind of aspire to like set the market and like putting out flavors that you like or profiles that you like and hope that the public does as well or vice versa? It's a little bit of both. We try and like keep the crowd favorites around or things that you see that people like, you know, online and things like that. We'll try and keep around. But we're trying to also like make our own lane and maybe eventually do our own flavors of yarn genetics and things like that. So we try to, you know, once again, there are only being maybe a few genetics companies that really focus on you know, like the resin production and maybe hash making in general only having certain companies who do that you know it gets sort of limited but taking the risks on other companies and breeders and things like that is uh can be very ben beneficial as well you know and finding stuff that not other anybody else is going through you know smaller breeders local breeders we work with um right now we're popping and have we're running actually a few different phenos of uh, some oz kush crosses and they're from uh a local in Colorado company called Full Moon Genetics. Okay. And uh, so things like that, you know, like we like to support local. Like if you go check out our Instagram, uh, it's at Single Source Colorado. It's really based on like being outdoors and like kind of the Colorado vibe and stuff like that. And just since Solventless is a more like organic option and to hash and things like that, we kind of playing on that, you know, that, and that we also just like, if we weren't hash making, we're always outdoors or fishing anyways, you know, right. hunting, fishing, things like that. And then mountains, Colorado vibe, you know, so it kind of just went hand in hand with that. So yeah, I guess we are a little regionally specific because there are certain things people like, like right now, GMO, like I was saying, is a huge thing. OGs. Oh, except in Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> except in Michigan. Exactly. Um, so Yeah, a little bit of both. I try and, like, I get bored, too. It's like, you know, harvesting the same eight strains all the time or even four strains or whatever it right. may be, you know. It's like I, I need a little change in my life, you know, even when sure. it's working, you know. So. I would likely feel the same way. So. Yeah, even with beer, I like, you know, if I drink IPAs or something like that, I like one or two of the same ones, but at the same time, I like to try new things. Yeah. yeah. I had a few people send in the same question, mm -hmm. including Headhunters, mm -hmm. And another user, Sticky Sam, nine, and they want to know what is your favorite strain to run. Uh, my favorite strain to run, it probably be Chem Di ninety five. I love that smell and taste. It's kind of like mothballs, and it's kind of similar to GMO without that kind of chocolatey, uh, savory note. You know, like kind of French oniony note to it. It's kind of just all gas and offensive. <laughs> 
And that's why I like it. Um, cannabis can express, it seems like, every flavor and every smell, you know, like, that's possible. So getting to these odd, almost foul, you know, like, terpenes and flavonoids are, like, definitely my favorite. You know, like, you know, when you tell somebody, oh, it tasted like meat and red wine, you know, they're like, I don't want to smoke that, you know. But to me, like, it's it's just like a, a it's so unique. I like things savory and things like that, you know. Like, uh, I would tell people, like, one of my favorite strains, and still is, and, and was a pikey from Source Genetics. Like, it's kind of like a... <laughs> It's kind of like a sausage gravy, you know, like you eat on top of biscuits and gravy. It's like this like warm, sagey kind of like creamy taste, you right. know, and like just reminds me of like, man, you smoke that in the morning with some some breakfast and some coffee, man. It's like just the perfect thing, you know. So I'd probably say ChemDI 95 for like something weird and like it throws down, you know, really well. Right now, my favorite thing to wash is uh, Poonjang Pie. My mom actually found the pheno. Really? And it was her first grow us together and stuff like that. And she literally did everything herself, but I just kind of helped out and gave the genetics and stuff like that and, you know, help them not let them die, you know, because just with everyone's first grow, it's, it's pretty intense. You know, you learn a lot that first time, you know, you know, your ACs go out, your lights go out, whatever. You're learning how to really make a stable environment for plants, you know, so um, it actually turned out amazing. It's still, I think, her biggest yield she's got and stuff like that. It was really cool. Yeah, it is really um, cool. Yeah, so we picked one pheno out of there, and I currently grow a lot of it at single source and stuff like that. And it's one really special that you can find something like that with your family. And just, like, that your family is open to that. Like, you yeah. know, say being in high school, my family wasn't really open to weed. And I didn't smoke too much of it anyways, but, you know, I got in trouble once or twice with it, you know. And just like any good parent, I think you should. Your brain isn't fully developed once again and things like that. But if you have some ailments, I understand, you use it med medically. But you shouldn't be busting down mad bulls like I was, you know, before a test or anything like that. It's probably not the easiest to focus. And back then, it wasn't really strange. I don't know what I was smoking. Right. It just smelled crazy, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's kind of crazy. You know? <laughs> it's been a long time, and I've seen lots and lots of strains, man. But, yeah, Puntang Pai is like a cross of a... Grape pie, Tropicana, and papaya. So it's like all those terpy hash right. strains together. all crossed together. And yeah. you're repping mom, though. Yeah, and it's mom's little creation, too. So that's pretty cool. Man. That is cool. We've kind of touched upon it, and it's obviously, like, a big issue with you. But let's talk about Instagram. Yeah, let's do it. I was wondering. I, I'd like to get to that yeah. real quick. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just going to give you the floor. Okay. First of all, um, Instagram. It really sucks for, say, cannabis industry. And I'm trying to be as nice as possible here. I've had, I guess, maybe a hater or two or maybe a few uh, target me in the past, like, year. And uh, I get that. It's okay. Like, once you look at anybody who's popular or, like, an influencer or things like that, not everyone's going to agree with you. And that's okay. Sometimes I can get heated, too. And, like, just like everybody else, you know, like, we all have emotions. It's, it's how we deal with them and how we move forward, right? So no matter what, I try and be and preach positivity, and that's always how I've been in my life. I touched on it in the class. I come from, like, hardcore punk metal scene and stuff like that, especially in the hardcore scene. PMA, positive mental attitude, is, is preached very heavily, and that's something my best friends growing up with and stuff we all still live with to this day, especially jibs and things like that. Um, 
when you are a negative person, like growing up and you do have anger issues and things like that, being positive is really hard. So saying it and being it is the way you have to be, you know? So just getting back to that is like, I try and be as positive as I possibly can. And like you're saying, educative and respond to people's questions. Sometimes people are just having bad days, including me, you know, and I try and keep that out of it as much as possible. Won't, you know, get back to you or like, honestly, if it's a really mean question, I'm not going to leave it there. I'm going to delete it or something. Or like, if you see too, you can go on my page and if someone doesn't like something and say, man, I bought a gram from the dispensary and it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be because of this and this and this. I say, hey, thank you for your feedback. I really appreciate it. That batch, I wasn't my favorite either. You know, make sure you go try this at another dispensary. And if not, thank you for trying us out. You know, I think that's the best way to attack things. I shouldn't, you shouldn't get offended by somebody giving you their opinion. I mean, I get that on the internet and things, things come off wrong. You don't, can't hear it out loud. There's no emphasis in speech and things like that, you know, so I am sorry. Yeah. If I come off like that sometimes that it's never like purposeful. So I think maybe. Uh, and hater or two, you know, I don't even know who, but like, uh, got uh, something got on their nerves. And, um, I've literally only blocked maybe one or two people in my whole time of doing things. So maybe one of them or something like that. But that causes, you know, reporting causes you to get shut down. I've never posted pricing, anything that literally violates their terms of use besides posting a picture of a cannabis related image, you know, like whether it be hash or weed joints whatever that's the frustrating part is like i i feel like i obliged the rules and an account before this one i was posting disclaimers with every photo and that disclaimer was first you had to swipe to see the picture you know so i'm trying everything i can do to stay positive and stay ahead of the curve so i don't get deleted but no matter what if you are successful or you're good at something there's gonna be hate and i've just had to accept that i've also had to accept that being Social media is one thing and real life is another. My brands and myself as a person will be just fine without social media. But obviously life is a little bit better if my patients and clients, customers know where to get my stuff and like what I'm doing and I can learn and be in, you know, and educate themselves and things. So I'd like to be able to do that. So please, whoever's, you know, if you are listening, please stop reporting me. Uh, Talk to me. I'm a nice guy. I'm if I did wrong you, I'm sorry. We can work it out. I'll give you some free hash or something. But yeah, so I just wanted to say that real quick. And maybe some people would disagree too, you know, like maybe I'm not that positive, but I try and push as much positivity out there as I can. That's just me, you know. So just like with everyone else, if you don't like like Action Bronson or Wu Tang or a certain baseball team, then don't follow them. Don't say dick things. I know normally, anyways, people are going to do it. That's fine. I'm not going to respond back to you. You know, don't get mad at me for blocking you if you're being mean. Right. It's just like, you know, like it's a uh, it's just general kindness and general humanity. Simple things, <laughs> you know, right. Instagram, I think, has some issue, you know, like they they're shutting down accounts sometimes just for posting, you know, ads and stuff like that. So, yeah, Instagram and Facebook do have certain some responsibility for it, but you don't just get shut down most of the time without hate. You know, so that's the one thing I wanted to say about it is, um, yeah, just if you have questions, always just try and ask in like a, a nice, you know, positive manner, like because I'll definitely get back to you. And it's obviously easier for me to talk to you if you're a nice person, you know, like it's just the golden rule. I 
grew up going to Catholic school and things like that and just grew up in a good household. And I'm a respectful person. If you put respect out, I'll give it back. But it's hard to give respect when you're being disrespected, you know. So that's all. It's just um, basic, you know, human skills, once again, <laughs> conversational yeah. skills, you know. I mean, look again, it seems pretty simple and straightforward to me. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I... It's very unfortunate, you and, know. And again, you know, the, uh, in, the Internet's a weird place. And, like, mm-hmm. it, there's almost, like, this this almost, like, filter to, to hide behind, mm-hmm. right? And so it, it, I think, brings sometimes the worst out of people and yeah. sometimes maybe the best in some senses but yeah that it's it's unfortunate and what's kind of ironic to me is i feel like you're one of the guys who does best use it for keeping people in the loop as to like what you're doing where they can get stuff because a lot of people i don't feel do a great job at that yeah and so it's kind of ironic to me that i think you manage your social media well in that sense thank you yeah but you just keep getting, you know, yeah. shut down. And so like, that's what blows me away. I'm just trying to showcase everyone to everyone what I'm doing and um, where they can get it most of the time. Right. Like I'd say a third of my posts are like drop posts. Like, but the rest is just be like, hey, check this out. I did it this way. Or look at this pretty harsh. Like it's not ego driven whatsoever. It's not to get more followers. It's right. just to like be able to represent my brand. How hard is it to grow organically? time and time again uh for me it hasn't been that hard fortunately and then say like now I, to me three thousand followers isn't too many because i've had upwards to like 40 like try come heavy and then the ken wall account was like a little over 20 i think in its prime it was like a six-year-old count before it got shut down it's not hard to get followers back if you just it's it takes a lot of time and just being a busy person and owning a grow and running a business having employees and having a family even too it's just like having time to just sit there for a few minutes and make a post and make sure it sounds good and then comment back to people and dms and really have real conversations with with people you know it's hard but it does i say it mostly just takes time and then i'm also blessed that like i have been shut down so many times like people like cuban and trichomavia extracts and soil grown sal and you know, all the bigger accounts always kind of help me out. Bubble Manus a few times, too. And, you know, I, sometimes I don't even have to reach out. They just see that I'm back. You know, Hash House, um, Grape God, you know, all those guys really help me out a lot. Sour Waves, even, you know, like uh, all those dudes like always repost me. Uh, Mile High Mel's Nicotee, you know. So without them, I honestly couldn't get back to where I'm at so quickly, you know, especially like, you know, Ozzy, Cuban Grower. My homies really helped me out. And once again, it's like a, I'm a respectful person. And obviously you can see that by like, I'm friends with pretty much all the hash makers. Like I, we're all good, you know, like there's no animosity between us or anything. We're all just trying to be better. And I think if you can't get along with other hash makers, there's a problem with that. You know, it's just like, once again, being a chef, if you're not friends with other chefs and you're not trying to get better, I don't know why you're there. <laughs> you know, it's like, if you right. just go be a line cook, man, and just go cook eggs and burgers the rest of your time, you know, like I'm trying to be better and be good, be the best. Yeah. One of the things I want to talk to you and it's you know tied into your social media in a way is like your branding. You know, I find like some of the stuff that you put up on the different accounts over time, including the disclaimers, right? Mm-hmm. Like all this kind of artwork that you're doing is kind of intriguing to me. Can yeah. you tell me a little bit about like where that comes from or 
you know, I've like seen that kind of like Street Fighter-ish and like the, almost like the Miami, Miami Vice yeah, color-ish yeah, yeah. type stuff. And so okay. what, what's all that about? So just real quickly, like I've, I've been an artist too, like most of my life. Like I'm not a classical, like draw you an apple the right way, you know, or anything, a perspective artist. But I like to be abstract and I've always just being in bands and being an artist and I used to spray paint graffiti and tag all that stuff um just always liked being artistic and being able to have your voice some way you know like that same with hash it's like it, it is kind of like it's a procedure but everyone has their own style and artistic ways of doing things you know so right. that was just kind of like once again a, a synergistic kind of way you know like they kind of went hand in hand but like as far as like you know the vaporwave kind of miami hotline kind of <laughs> stuff you know I had my friend Flick kind of help me out with that stuff. He's a great artist, and he still kind of helps me out with stuff and branding. I always just change things. So, like, I have a bunch of different logos. I have, like, a hip-hop logo that my boy Jolt, he's, like, a famous graffiti artist, did for me. And then uh, I have ones I've done. I have basic-looking ones. I have um, metal. Like, I'm sure you saw those stickers. It's, like, one of my tattoo artists did a... Um, like a doom sleeper style, kind of like a ice water monster, like holding ice cubes and he's melting. He's got like a trichome crown and all this stuff. And, you know, think of myself, if I was some doom monster, that would I, that's what I'd be, you know, like a water sorcerer. But yeah, so I just kind of, I touched on this in the class and this is the best answer to that I can give is just be yourself, man. I think everyone's trying so hard to be like someone else in this industry that they lose why they started this like they they had a passion for it right you know like they wanted to be the best and they wanted to hang with the big dogs and stuff like that to get there yeah your imitation is an easy way to do that but just being yourself and being ahead of the curve is where that all comes from like I've I had stints of wearing like the heady clothes and things like that like if you look at me now I'm wearing like some nice maybe heady sneakers and stuff and like a palace hoodie but you know I would normally wear like fishing shirts on a day-to-day and like hats and like just I don't really like care about hype stuff for the most part I have some of it I like to look good at the same time you know and stuff but I like to stay in my own lane and like what I like I think that's where the popularities came from is like if there is some you know like um I just constantly you know I don't use the same bags as everybody else all the time I don't do the same techniques for the most part. Um, I like to think outside the box, not just to be different, just to, if I think there's a better way to achieve that end goal, I'm going to do it. And I'm always going to strive in R&D to get a better end goal. That's the biggest advice to you, once again, I can give on becoming a, if you want to become a great hash maker, be yourself, you know, just find your own lane. You don't have to create your own products that are different, but you know, if you like it a certain way, do it that way. Don't do it because that's the way you see it. You know, try and always live by, you know, your morals and ethics. And that's what's important, what you were taught in life. And, you know, if you push that, you know, eventually you'll like say like like a grape god. He has a really cool marketing, you know, like the whole grape thing and the sacred stuff. Like he's always pushed that and been himself. I know he has tattoos and all that stuff, too. And they always just push that kind of scene, you know. Right. Like, same thing with, like, say, Jungle Boys. They've done a really good job at, like, they're L.A. There's no, like, really other brands as L.A. That's the best brands. They're just, they don't fake anything, you know. They're just being themselves, and that's what people respect. 
you know. So that's where that comes from. Is just uh, and once again, the biggest advice like. If you like art and you like being weird and you listen to weird music, let that show in your hash making. That's the coolest thing, in my opinion, is when I meet someone, I'm like, man, that is not what I was expecting. You're like, are fucking really cool, man. Right, <laughs> you know, right. and like sometimes you just get a person, you think a certain way about somebody or what they may look like or, you know, just maybe judging a book by its cover a little bit. You know, everyone does that. Um I'd probably say you didn't maybe think I look this, you know, the way I do or anything. I get that a lot in Colorado. Like, wow, you're a lot younger than I thought. And also with like Levi, you know, he's 23 years old. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, it's not necessarily like you can have experience without being older. You know, it's um, just like really being involved in it. So, yeah, that's it, man. Just making it your life and and just being yourself. That's the biggest advice and like where my success came from. It's just I never was like made my let my morals or ethics get like you know let somebody tell me to wash this crap or anything like that i always said stood up for myself and things like that maybe in some points it got me in trouble once again maybe people don't like me because of that but i'm just not going to do it if i don't want to do it if it doesn't feel right to me you know yeah and i mean you know i think you could say the same for like anything almost like people who like you said are just like dedicated to their craft and dedicated to learning but then kind of absorbing that and making it into their own thing Mm -hmm. i think that's where a lot of people have you know what's considered like success yeah right yeah because once again there's basics for everything you can't just like change the right way to do something you know like if there is the right way do it the right way but there's stylistic things you can do individualistic things you can do to make it different like when i was a chef once again like i love working saute you set up your station your own way, you know, you season your own way. It's probably like the same, tastes the same at the end, which it should, but you're achieving that end goal differently. You know, like you're adding your lemon, your acidity to your sauce at a different point right at the end so that it actually stays together and not broken. Just things like that, you know, like right. little tiny things, you know, um, it's just those little stylistic differences. Well, cool. So we've been hanging out for a while. Uh, as always, I'm very appreciative of your time. Yeah. We don't have a ton more time, but I want to kind of get into a little bit kind of a heavier section on the actual hash making. Mm-hmm. If that's cool with you. Yeah, yeah. Last night, you brought up a bunch of interesting points. One, you prefer to do hand washing, and your preference for that in part is cleanliness, which is something, again, I feel like you talked about last night bringing over from kind of the concept of being a chef, Mm. right? And then the other thing is just you're able to wash so much more material. And you were comparing what you're able to wash in a two-can setup to what the hydrocarbon machines are able to produce a day. Can you talk a little bit about that? So first off, there are multiple hydrocarbon machines, you know, lots of different types, you know, OBDOS, ETS, even ETS has multiple, you know, the MEP, mini MEP, 1300. There's a lot of different sizes and sizes of columns and, you know, how quickly you can do runs. So I understand all these variables and, you know, people listen to this later and be like, well, our lab does more than that or whatever. I, I totally understand that. But just as a basic kind of knowledge on that is that what I was getting at last night is that with a two-can setup, hand-washing, two 32-gallon plastic food-safe cans, you can wash about upwards to 7,000 grams per can. So washing about 14,000 grams of fresh frozen at a time, you know, in a 
It takes me about an hour and a half to two hours to do that whole extraction. You can do a lot of those per day. Just last night I was talking, so that's two in a day. That's 28,000 fresh frozen grams. Most labs in Colorado use like an ETS. It's a more affordable hydrocarbon system. And once you have to spend all this money anyways on C1D1 enclosures and explosion-proof cameras and things like that, like getting a little more budget of a machine, you know, is easier for people. But anyways, the ETS-1300 is a smaller tube and can only run about, I think, 1,500 fresh frozen at max, and that's really packing it. Okay. Um, once again, I'm sure there's some guy that's going to go, oh, we pack it with 2,000, whatever. But on an average is what I'm getting at. Um, and a, a normal hydrocarbon tech can probably get a live resin run done in 45 minutes to an hour plus. So, like, if you do the math on that, you know, say eight runs in a day, you know, but that's still really pushing it with a lunch hour and stuff like that. Call it 8,000 to 10,000 grams in a day. That's one tech. You just did 14,000 in two hours of fresh frozen. And your yields, if you're doing it right, are very, very comparable or higher. Currently, you know, I'm getting four to six percent plus on commercial you know on single source commercial cannabis and in the day that was unheard of even now you know with commercial and the other markets and stuff that's just like a really hard thing to do but dialing in you know the the grow and stuff like that is really allowed and genetics is really allowed for those things to really be possible and obviously for investment and financers they're seeing things like that with an organic product and also like one that you can build a lab for much cheaper um, is a very like cool thing to see like it, it gets a lot of investors and financiers pretty excited to hear those kind of things but once again not everybody can do that it takes a lot of variables that all line up and things like that you know so what I was getting at is that with even two plastic cans you know two washes a day you can do upwards of 20 30,000 fresh frozen grams in four hours if you really want to stretch that and do like the hydrocarbon dude was doing and work eight hours straight through, imagine what you could achieve and um, how much more you could achieve even in just that, you know, hydrocarbon machine. So there are bigger machines than, say, you know, say like MEP, a precision. There's a lot of different ones where you can double, you know, we used to at CSC, I used to run their hydrocarbon lab for a little bit and we used to double barrel pack tall precision tubes and, you know, around 3,000 grams at a time, fresh frozen. So once again, that takes a little longer, you know, but call it an hour 15, keep doing the math on that, maybe seven a day per tech. Maybe you got multiple techs, you know, you can do all that math, but still the amount that you can wash in just plastic cans, it blows my mind. A lot of people think that that may look ghetto and things like that. When you see the hash that comes out and the test results and everything and the yields you're getting, I guarantee you'll change your mind. There are stainless steel options to cans as well. It's just not as accessible or cheap. I would like to, you know, stay away from pumps if you're putting hash through a pump. But there are machines on the market like the pure pressure one. It's not necessarily a machine, but they call it the brutless. It's almost like a closed loop system where up on top you have ice water in your material. You agitate, use gravity to drain it into your bag set. That water obviously needs to get back up into the system so they have a pump that pushes that water back up into your system. Um, so I'm pretty cool with that at the same time. You know, like there's no hash like necessarily going through that pump unless there's some leftover in that water. Okay. Um, you know, so that's a pretty cool system. And it's uh, 
as you saw last night, it's pretty hard work. You got to have a fairly good amount of muscles to wash the way I do and be in shape. I'm not in any means in shape, but I'm just a larger guy, I guess. And uh, I've been doing it for long enough where I know how to like the techniques I do and stuff, how to pick up cans easily and stuff like that. But yeah, so just kind of touching on that, I think that if you think you're, st- you're stuck with, you know, oh, high yields, I need to get a hydrocarbon machine and to actually make money back and start a good business in a new regulated market and stuff like that. I've proved in other people that that's not true. You know, rosin and solventless is also the highest and fastest growing skew in the market too. So um, just be mindful of that. Even just with, once again, 32-gallon cans, really rival hydrocarbon machines and, and your yields. And then there's outside-of-the-box box things you can think of, you know, with large-scale washing, scaffolding, with large stainless steel vats, you know. is All you need is a big bag to drain into, you know. There's plenty of people who can make you custom stuff. Once again, it's just not thinking about what everyone else is doing and just thinking about how you can do that process on a larger scale. Anybody else in any other industry does that. They call a supplier, a a vendor, and be like, okay, hey, I need you to make me this custom 300-gallon stainless steel tank. I need it to be food-grade, with food-grade welds, and it needs a drain on it. Right. That's it. Like, so, honestly, if you want to wash a whole field at once, that's how you do it. You know, like, it's... And I don't think that that's so hard to figure out. You know, you get you get some bigger bags made, you know, like they're just screens. Anyway, you can go to a supplier in Indonesia, China, America and get those screens and make, you know, if you got the money, one the size of this room. Yeah, that's just kind of where I stand once again. It's like, you know, not to get off track, but it's always like I'm just you got to think for yourself, you know, and just like think of not looking at what everyone else is doing. Like, oh, well. If I need to expand, I need to add more machines. Well, there might be a better solution to a plastic machine that's maybe even simpler and faster. And to me, that was plastic cans. I got forced into it. I was using plastic machines in Denver, and then the health department all of a sudden came in, and they didn't like those anymore, even though they were extremely clean. It took me hours to clean those things. And I also used to post about it, not as much anymore, but how to actually rip apart your bubble nows and gravity drain no pumps and things like that so they were clean but they hated them they, there was no easy way to like dump them out into three basin sinks or you know actually throw them in a dishwasher or anything like that with plastic food grade cans you you're done with the end of the day you dump the water out you iso it and let it air dry man it's way cleaner there's no nooks and crannies for hash or mold to get stuck in get some new cans like once a month they're cheap enough you know it's think it's the way to go Uh, it's really changed like the way i think about hash making and being able to see your material too and that visual aid instead of just popping open a machine lid and seeing a bunch of foam in a bag it's really hard to tell that way right and you brought up a kind of funny interesting story about bags last night Mm -hmm. you were using some essential extract bags last night was it yeah they're just kind of what's left over from uh long stories and lots of history and things like that. I came up on a bunch of bags of his that were actually like the prototype before they were called essential extract, uh, essential extract bags. So I have a lot of them. And Nick T, if you hear this, man, you got to reach out to me. I got a bunch of them for you. So we should hang out and talk stories and stuff. But I don't want to necessarily get my story wrong. So I don't want to like go into, you know, how I got them and stuff. But I, I got them from, uh, Somebody who went away, you know, and uh, he had the rest of them. He collaborated with Nicotee on those bags and helped distribute them. So when he went away, I got the rest of the bags at a good price. And I kind of use a lot of them now just because 
that's what I have. But I like all just t- touching on bags too. It's I've always been the same mentality of like I'm just gonna pick what I like. You know, if everyone likes ice extract, that's cool. If they work the best, then I'm gonna use them. I've tried all the bags. I don't necessarily have a favorite, but to recommend a setup, I'd say like bolt bags are my favorite, or ice extracts, or even the fresh heady bubble man bags. I'd say ninety percent of the awards I've won are with bubble bags. I get I'm kind of a superstitious kind of like person where like if something works I'm gonna keep doing that you know when I travel I travel the same way things like that when I compete it's like I'll use the same bags I got second in Legends of Hash in 2014 at the uh, last one in Amsterdam the last cup that was out there okay and that was a really cool part of history to be a part of uh, Legends of Hash is like a, a dinner put on by Robert Clark and Bubble Man and Skunk Man Sam and all the like the legends of hash and um, you bring a jar and you share it and you get judged man and it's a really like nerve wracking thing at first but it's a great environment it's like at a restaurant and you can uh, smoke hash and it's a really cool event and stuff ended up and, and getting placing at there isn't really like a competition it's right. just more like a recognition kind of thing didn't even really get an award or anything it's just being able to say that you got judged and by those people and stuff and they got to smoke your hash is really the real and going to that dinner if you get you can only get invited right and you have to bring hash enough to share yeah uh, you know so five grams or something like that at least and these guys smoke a lot of hash you know? yeah for sure and i think you know that's the kind of cool thing about like quote-unquote winning it right mm-hmm. it's like to all these dudes that are just like heads yeah and so like if they're picking yours then you know it's stink exactly exactly and that at that time once again pre-freeze dryers pre-rosin and us being one of the only fresh frozen people, especially traveling across seas, nobody did fresh frozen in Amsterdam or Europe or anything like that. We kind of brought that in other people, you know, live resin makers like that concept. And it's still not a huge thing out, you know, in Europe and Spain, those kind of places where right. it is legal. So that was really cool to even just like be able to get close to winning or being acknowledged because of the fresh frozen aspect. Like, Back in that day, too, before freeze dryers, it was kind of, it wasn't a no, like, we definitely fully dried or to our extent, like, what we could fully dry it to, we did our best. But yeah, there's times where, especially with microplaning, it's not a science, man. It's like, it's an art. It It's really hard to tell when things are, like, completely dry and then they're moisture and taking it other places and things like that. So to even, like, get up on, it wasn't a podium, but to be recognized, you know, was really cool. Kind of got off track, but that's how I got those bags. I won a set of bags from that. Cool. Called Bubble Man when I got back, and he sent me a set of 20 gallons. And uh, I've been using those, like, just as, like, my competition bags and at home and stuff like that for years since then. So that kind of tells you, too, how if you keep your bags nice, you can keep them forever. I pass tests all the time, you know, for competitions with those bags and they're completely clean and all that stuff. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that's funny and interesting, you know, to, to think that you're washing, like you said, when you enter stuff <laughs> with the same set. Yeah, I'm a superstitious person, man. If something works, I'm like, oh, I got to keep that going, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like I do people and in the interview justice if we didn't talk a little bit about post production. Okay. Right. So, Colorado to me, not to say that California or other states don't also push their limits in their own ways, but you guys are seem like to me almost like the great experimenters when it comes to post production. Rosin came out four or five years ago. Yeah, and now maybe it's even like, three, four. I okay. think. Um, first time I saw it was on Hash Church. I talked about that last night too. Well, 
I heard about it, and Jibs pressed some flowers in front of me, and I, I honestly was like, that's really stupid. I didn't think that you could press hash until, like, we talked, like, it was literally, we, I think we saw it on Hash Church. We, I think we were on that episode, actually. Like, we were on the panel, and this little, you know, young kid comes on. Like, we were kids then, too, you know, and it comes on, and he can barely see what he's doing, but, like, because there's a webcam on the, on the desk, you know, and, um, you can see him like crouching down on something, you know, and like he, so he's, what he's doing is he's, he's stepping on a t shirt press right. with nugs in it, you know, and parchment paper. And like, oh, it's like, what is he doing and stuff? And he puts, pulls up this slab with like the smash nug in it, oil around it. You're like, whoa, what the hell? You know, like it was like the coolest thing I'd seen at that point. Like I said, we'd squished like a little, we'd seen it on the internet and stuff. Like we knew it was about to be on Hash Church and like Sal was like getting some, recognition for it and stuff so we'd seen it and tried it and i was like honestly i love smoking flowers so I, that's why i thought it was stupid i was like dude this is like <laughs> you, you, you just squished that dope ass nug and got like two dabs out of it you know because they were pretty heavy dabbers you know right um but i saw like the benefit of it for like say states that are so rural and are the areas that are so rural that like man all you got is flowers and a hair straightener but you want a dab that's perfect you know so anyways it was so cool seeing him do that Kind of got a eureka moment, and we're like, man, let's press hash. You know, like, um, press it without a screen. It was kind of weird, you know, and then figured out. I was like, oh, man, well, getting contaminant out of it would be easy. It was just wrap it in a screen, you know? So kind of just went from there. And, yeah, like, figuring out, like, we went through consistencies last night and stuff like that. That's all just, like, man, it evolves on the daily almost, you know? Like, people are figuring out new consistencies and ways to get... Quicker, you know, rosin, better rosin, more efficient, better presses, you know, things like that. So it's been really cool to watch and be a part of. I will always think of myself as like a hash maker. I, I like I like to make water hash. I can make butane hash and maybe get around on a CO2 machine, all right, alcohol, you know, all that stuff I feel pretty comfortable with. But water hash is my passion. Like the other stuff would be like if I absolutely had to to pay some bills, I would. But what makes me happy in life is washing hash. And um, even like dry sift doesn't excite me as much. Rosin, that's what I'm getting at. It's like I'm I'm always trying to make the best hash possible because no matter what, when you squish it, the better the hash, the better the rosin. So that's kind of my where I derive all my passion from is the actual water hash part of it. I like to smoke water hash over rosin, you know, like 90U, the best of the best, uh, 120. Rosin is like, you know, I like making it at the same time. It just takes a little less skill, in my opinion. You know, if you're processing it into multiple consistencies, that does take skill. and You can mess up really easily, as you saw last night, if you don't do things correctly. Not that we messed up. Right. <laughs> but if we would have waited longer in the oven, you could have definitely messed up really quickly. So that's all I'd say with rosin. It's like, man, it's been an interesting, really fast-evolving thing, you know. And I, I don't think I've invented any textures at all, like, I'm more honestly behind the curve on rosin. Like maybe educative wise, it doesn't seem like it because I'll just like give out free info. But yeah, I mean, like say for the saucing, I was kind of knowing what I was doing and what the technique took, but I didn't actually do it until people like Mile High Melts, like Sam and like Diet Funk, who was like right. putting it out for free. Of course, I screenshotted his stories like everybody else, you know, and then he put it up in the highlights when that was a thing on Instagram. and once again, that's why I think it's okay to just like, man, there's so much information being given out for free right now that you might as well be a part of the scene too. And like, if you're not giving away information, I, I don't want to be that guy, but like, it's kind of like, 
I'll just say, you know, it's like not like you're scared, but like I feel confident about myself and my hash making abilities. So even once again, giving if I gave everyone everything I did, I'd, I'd still know I could make better hash. It's just my love and passion for it, you know. Right. Um, so I've never been scared to be like people are yeah, literally blown away at like how open I am with stuff. And even if I told you how to do it, are you really going to do it that way? Who knows? You don't have not everyone has the same knowledge and experiences I do either. So if I told you how to do it one way, man, you might not do it the right way. <laughs> you know? So I don't know. It's 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 whatever, man. You know, like I that's why I just give it out. Rosin is something that everyone's gonna figure out accidentally anyways, you know. The sauce I, I swear to God was figured out because of a hot car. <laughs> you know, like I would make sauce like accidentally with shatter all the time. Be like, you know, oh man, the shatter turned to sugar. Look at all those terpenes on the on the parchment paper. Let's scrape this into a jar. Now you have like sauce. You know, like all you had to do is kind of put that together is like, why don't we extract it into the jar <laughs> and create pressure like we used to when we were kids making those little crystalline kits, you know? Like I don't know if you ever did that. Like, I don't know. I didn't. like there's this, so there's these little science kits you can get at like the dollar store or hobby stores and they come with like a little water packet and like this little powdered stuff and you like pour it on a tray. And then you just wait and like some of them are in like enclosed environments and stuff, but it makes like crystals and stuff. So just like, it's so funny. It's like we, what we learn in life and stuff, you don't necessarily put that towards, you know, hash making and things like that. You know, it's like right now everyone thinks it's all this like crazy techniques that everyone's just like finding out right now. It's like, it's just like everything else. It's, it's, there's like, once again, the basics of it and then finding your own way. Yeah. And I mean, and then like, Again, it's just a weird time, like we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier, right? It's end like, of prohibition. Yeah, it's the end of prohibition and like the the beginning of. I think I said this to someone last night, like almost like the industrialization mm-hmm. of cannabis. There'll be some good things and there'll be some bad things that will come with that. But yeah, I mean, learning is I think going to be one of the good things. And then, like you and I were saying earlier, once the science comes in, and that might be a while mm-hmm. to figure out what's actually happening and be able to kind of correlate that to the experience that guys like you and people even before you Mm -hmm. um, have kind of acquired over time will be interesting. Yeah, exactly. Going from being able to be like, in my experiences is what you want to look for to achieve this. Right. From going from that to being able to explaining why. Exactly. You know, like I can tell you why I think so, you know, like less wax is being present. Crystallization can only happen with THCA. Those are kind of things that obviously that are going on. But I can't scientifically. Yeah, there's some chemical. There's there's yeah those chemical reactions reactions going on. Yeah, yeah, we you know, again, we don't know why. I I think people just like like the look or the flavor or just the the advancing quote unquote of the techniques. You know, exactly. And so you know, I'm curious since you said that rosin is like kind of the biggest growing skew. Mm -hmm. How much of your product is like actual melt? Is it still worth putting out? Uh, 20%. There are still, like, really good connoisseurs, you know, like, big connoisseurs in Colorado that definitely want to, like, just smoke the melt. Or a lot of people, too, like to um, say, especially since we're medical right now, um, they like to buy a good, a good bit of melt and then just squish it themselves. Kind of makes you feel like a little bit of, like a hash maker and stuff like that. I know a lot of my friends and even musicians and things like that, that's, like, their favorite thing to do. They like having a nice baller jar of melt in the fridge or the freezer you wake up, you know, make yourself some coffee, squish out your own little sample and smoke it, you know. I'm kind of the same way. If I want to make some rosin out of my stash, I will, you know, with, like, the melt I have and stuff. But, yeah, probably about 
is actually released as actual melt water hash. I'm so specific too. Like if it's not really good, I'm just going to squish it. Once again, being at having the single source grow and stuff, it's much easier to do that. Right. But yeah, not, not as many people, people want to have that really clean nail and stuff. You know, not a lot of people can still get over melt, having some contaminant and things like that. I just like the high. It reminds me a lot of flower. And same thing with rosin, just a little bit less. You know, it doesn't have that quick, racy come down or anything either. It's like that I at least personally get from a hydrocarbon extract, you know, butane, propane, things like that. Right. I don't personally dab sauce or anything like that anymore. I was having some uh, lung issues and stuff like that. Just the too high amount of terpenes, which once again, I don't think we know what's okay to smoke. 20 plus percent terpenes is a lot, you know, even 10 plus. To be able to, like, inhale, that's why you're coughing so hard. You know, that's why we're all, you know, sniffling and stuff, you know, and all that stuff is because of that kind of stuff. And I just made a a decision, you know, just to not do that anymore. It was, like, affecting my sleep and stuff like that, too. I'm just wanting to be conscious and healthy. And maybe for some people, smoking hash in general does that, whether it be hydrocarbon or rosin or whatever. Maybe even smoking weed in general, you know, there's a lot, it's a pollen. Like even when I sieve trichomes, like a dried hash and stuff like that, I sneeze and it gets me all like congested. And so now I wear a mask, a respirator, you know, and stuff like that. It makes me itchy even and stuff, you know. Yeah, I've heard Um, that from various people. Yeah. Cuban included, he said like, especially when he's sifting, he says he has to wear wear, like a mask. And I don't remember, there's another sifter also that has like a lot of allergies come up Mm -hmm. when you're just around that much material and, and that's passion right there if you if something hurts you to do <laughs> and you still do it and more than everybody else and better than everyone else that's passion that's the, that's what i like you know once again that's dedication that's a that shows like i want to be behind something like that right know? well and you know I, again going back to this whole idea is like that's just something that can't be taught no right and so like you can learn all the technical stuff but if the drive the passion yes. is not there. It's just not going to be the same. Yeah, and that's what I'm hoping at the end of the day that I can show people that, like, no matter what I produce, I'm trying my best. I'm I'm trying my hardest and to my knowledge and my capabilities, you know. And at the end of the day, that makes me feel good, and that, that's all I'm shooting for. I don't necessarily need to be the best. I want to be the best. You know, I'm a competitive person, but... I've gotten seconds and thirds a lot to say Cuban grower and stuff. Like that's where our relationship is really good and stuff too. It's like we've even talked about collabing together in the future on entries and stuff. You know, like I just want to make as good as hash as possible and be a good person, man. Once again, maybe some people that have met me may disagree and I'm sorry, you know, and I can't fix everyone, right. you know, and I, I don't want to either. And, and that's just, you know, their opinion. That's mine. But I try and just be the best person, make the best hash, you know, I can be. And yeah, I think it's honestly that simple. Everything else will come with it. If you love something, you have the drive and the passion, everything else comes with. Yeah, uh, I agree. Somebody on Instagram wants to know, how is it that you squish so much material at once? And I want to kind of tie that into, and I don't want to, I guess, misinterpret a post that 710 Labs put up a while ago that Mm -hmm. was kind of curious to me and they were saying that they basically don't try to press much material together to get their essentially 
highest grade, mm-hmm. right? And you, on the other hand, I see pressing like a massive amount. Mm-hmm. Do you think it makes a difference? In my experience uh, with my resin that I grow and stuff, it does not make a difference. I hit the same yields with two grams as I do with 180 is what I've, I think the most I've pressed, um, at least that I've posted. I lose maybe a tiny bit more than everybody else anyways because of the way I wrap my bags. Just to like clarify how I do that, I use a 25U and then another 25U around it. And then I also put a 220 on the outside, so three screens total when I'm pressing. What that allows is that 220 is like essentially like a bulletproof screen. It won't allow for any movement. It's a more coarse screen than a 25. 25 would be really slippery once you add the oils from the hash and also the heat and the pressure. What I'm trying to stay away from is blowouts or any type of movement from the bag. So what I'm getting at is losing a half gram or a gram to an extra pouch or something like that. To me, isn't the biggest deal when I'm squishing hundreds of, you know, 100 plus grams. So you're willing to sacrifice that bit yeah. for the rest of it? For my production, exactly. Especially when it turns out the same as if I press two grams or an eighth at this at the time. Seems Once again, not not to like hate on anybody's like tech, you know, right. like if that works for you and you think that creates the best rosin and the best, you know, end product, then do that. I think that's cool. Once again, being yourself and having your own niche. I just choose to like, when I wash, I want to get it all done. I want to move on to the next thing. So my specialty kind of, and same thing with jibs, like we've always tried to just specialize in large commercial washing and extraction. We think once again, a little more outside the box than most people uh, when it comes to that. So I always want to get all my, you know, GMO done at once. If I have 12K GMO, I'm washing all that at once. And I want to press it all at once. I want to get it done as quickly as possible. I have a thousand things to do, you know, like not that everybody else doesn't, but I want to get it on the shelf as quickly as possible and get to the next strain, get to the next harvest, get to the next thing I need to do, making more posts for everybody, whatever it may be. Um, those large batches, uh, it takes a little more time, I'd say, to press, uh, a little more pressure and things like that. But in my experience, I haven't seen, say, if you're getting 85, 86% yield on three and a half grams and then I press 100, I'm getting the same yield. Not sure, you know, maybe it's the press that other people are using if they are experiencing that. And if you need a good press recommendation, I currently work with Low Temp. Low Temp Plates is a great press. And that's the one you, if you do go to my social media, you will see me do very large presses on. You know, talk with me, shoot me some messages, and I can kind of show you how that's possible. With the 220U screens, you can actually like throw more 25, you know, double wrap 25s in there. And I kind of showed that at the class last night. That second press I did was actually like a double press. Right. And the first one was around like 30 grams. The next one was like 60. That was just, you know, there's more room inside that 220 so you can put another layer in there. There's plenty of ways, you know, you can double barrel those presses like I showed last night too. I personally haven't seen any difference. Say on a new grower, I'd start small just to test it out. And once again, pressing 150 grams at a time is a very, very large investment. And if you mess that up, that's a huge mess up. So I don't always say to press that much at a time if you're an expert. You got a lot of projection to do, definitely go for it. You know, um, it still gives me anxiety every time. <laughs> My heart starts racing. I tell people to shut up, you know, like it's, I have to really focus, you know, and stuff like that. But to me, it's worth it. And I still don't really get blowouts, you know, so. Yeah. Well, I hope that answers, you know, your question. Sure, it's no. like, I do get that one a lot. And 
it's just, you know, once again, there are multiple ways to get to the same end goal. You know? Yeah. But, you know, it's funny you bring up that kind of heightened, heightened awareness mm-hmm. is like, I've, that's what I've heard from a few different people, maybe at, in different stages. Yeah. So it's like, but it's almost like you need that to really kind of be able to like hone in on what you're doing. Yeah. And I say just real quick to like finish that is like that, say maybe if you were going to do like a live rosin texture or sorry, uh, fresh press, like kind of how once again, 710 Labs does is they they press it and it either they freeze it or it goes directly into the packaging. You know, it's just like um, if they're going to save it for later, they'll, you know, probably put it in a bag in a freezer or fridge and then break it up like a shatter shatter slab and they they package it, you know. You know, if you're going to do that technique, you know, and you want it packaged like that, that's probably an easier way because there's less time and less hash for it to butter. But once again, it depends on the resin. I've I've squished, once again, 200 grams almost at a time, and none of it buttered off the plates, you know. So just depends on the resin, how the, you know, you're pressing it, the temperatures you're pressing it. Hotter will get it off the plates quicker, make it more stable, low temperatures, you know, more buttering, things like that. I just think if I'm going to put it in the oven and make it into a sugar, a sauce, a batter, or even just post-processed rosin at all, I might as well get it done as quick as I can so that I can get to that end goal. That's just me, once again, chef mind, trying to make your production quicker, you know, prep, things like that. Cool, man. Not Jibs and not Cuban. Who is someone that you respect in the industry? Nicky You know, growing up in a, you know, say growing up in Colorado in the hash scene, becoming a man and all that since I was so young, you know, I'm not like good friends with him or anything like that. We talk every now and then. It's just having the respect, I think, is really cool. I think anybody else could have been just like a lot of other people we're competing against. And once again, not Cuban and stuff. Uh, there could be animosities. It's a competitive scene and community. And especially if you are competing back when the High Times events were really cool. Like, yeah, it was a very competitive thing. And there was only like five, six, seven, maybe ten at most that were actually competing. But we'd throw down multiple entries and stuff, you know, so... I'd say Nikati was, to me, at least personally, has always been extremely respectful. One of the things that kind of comes out to me is that, like, a dope cup, like, years ago in Colorado, he hit me up on Instagram and was, like, asking me about the event, and I I had an entry, and he didn't. He had no reason to go, really, to this event, and uh, he was like, hey, what time are you going to be there? I want to be there to support you, you know, and came down and, like, supported me, you know, and it's like a rival hash company. Right. So that was pretty cool to me. Like, I've never done that for another hash maker, you know? So I'd say, man, I really respect Nicotee. He works really hard all over the world. If you kind of follow him, he's all over the place. Um, He's just like me, too, I feel like, in the sense that he's talented at, like, a few other things, like being a DJ. He's a very good public speaker. And he's been around a lot longer than I have and the people who taught me and stuff like that. So I have to give it up to him, man. Like, um, same thing with, like, Bubble Man. When I met him, just like anybody else, I was kind of blown away. Even like being able to keep up a conversation with him about resin is really cool. So that kind of inspired me to like keep going, you know, like going to Amsterdam a year into my career was like really cool, man. I thought I'd go there and kind of see like what the big dogs were doing, but it was kind of the opposite. Like they're kind of stuck in like a, at least like say Amsterdam scene in general, they're still importing from other European countries, Moroccan hash, Indian hash, things like that. And then if you do want to make shatter or something like that, it's very illegal and you have to do it and, you know, locally and somehow get it into the shop and all that stuff. And like, dude, the houses there, like 
the staircases. I'm not a big guy, really, but I could barely fit wide-wise up the staircase. Like, larger person was having to walk sideways and stuff. So imagine, like, grows are smaller, extraction labs, all that thing, people living in tight quarters, you know. But, yeah, so I see Bubble Man, Nicotee, you know, just, like, the people that I really respected, like, early on. And then uh, some of my favorite hash makers now, like, that I've just got to, like, try their stuff, you know, like, Octi is really cool. Grape God, he's always made a really cool hash. Um, you know, Harry Palms out in Colorado, Western Colorado. He's been making hash, like, uh, not that long now. You know, at least, like, the water hash, and to my knowledge, he got a freeze dryer, like, recently after the award we won, you know, like, I think two years ago or something like that. But okay. um, he's, I mean, just, if you're breeding for hash and making hash, that's such that's so cool in my eyes, you know. So those are probably um, my favorites, like, Kush for Breakfast as well. He's a great guy, one of the people early on in my career that I got to be friends with. You know, all those Seattle kind of hash makers like Cuban, you know, started out in Washington and stuff like that as well. So I'd say those are probably my favorites. My all-time favorite hash maker is Jibs, though. I can literally sit on a conversation, on a phone call, a text, whatever, in person. We've done it and stayed up all night and talked about hash accidentally, you know. (laughs) You just like, just like we're doing here, you just get caught up in stuff and and talking and uh, yeah, man, I'd say him. He just, you know, and thank you once again He's for the opportunity, you know, to say my piece and everything. And thank you to Jibs and everyone who made just this whole opportunity possible to be what I am today and stuff like that. So, yeah, definitely thanks to Bubble Man, Nick T, Jibs, all those people. Tony Verzura, you know, we might not be as good of friends as we used to be and stuff like that, but I definitely respect the crap out of him and the things that he does and the way he innovates and educates people as well so yeah man thank you cool yeah thank you two favorite restaurants in colorado um i'm partial to a few uh i really like uh seafood and like you know just being a landlocked state you really have to focus on like a really fresh local you know not local but a fresh seafood spot so i really like like jack's uh, fish house you know for like oysters and fish and stuff like that okay and like you know sushi den for sushi is like they have tuna flown in every day from japan and stuff like that you know um so that's like definitely like two of my favorites and then um old major is one of my favorites as well um justin brunson is a big restaurateur in colorado and i really respect him and that was kind of his like flagship restaurant now he makes his own like you know meats and bacons and distributes them locally and sandwich shops and i like you know local heroes and things like that so i'd probably say those i'm more of a Sandwich, burritos, tacos kind of guys. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I just not being a chef anymore. I'm not as involved in the scene. Right. But yeah, those are probably my favorites. If you ever come out, I'll take you to some good spots. You know, we got like Fire on the Mountain for wings and got some really cool spots. Cool. Yeah, yeah that, that would be awesome. Last question. Mm-hmm. If you had to hear someone interviewed on the show, who would it be? It might be one of the people that you already mentioned, but. Yeah. I'd say, you know, I'd like to hear about the early Colorado history and things like that. Like, Nick T to bring up again would be really cool. I don't know if you've been in contact with him. You know, I can maybe reach out and stuff like that, too. Um, he's a really cool guy. He's just also really busy, you know, hard to get a hold of and stuff like that. Um, I'd like to hear, you know, about that early Colorado scene even before me and Jibs. He was actually the legal, first legal hash lab in the world. Right. That's a really cool thing to say, man. He put down the money you know, threw his, his self out there when nobody else would and really took the risk. And once again, that's why I really respect him. 
makes great hash, you know, great leader from what I can tell and things, you know. So I'd like to see Nick and T on here and, like, talk about the scene I'm used to and stuff. Um, also, Northern California is, like, a big love of mine, so getting some guys from out there, you know. Uh, third Gen Brandon's a really fun guy <laughs> with some really cool opinions, and, like, uh, he's also been really supportive of me, like, you know, working out in California and stuff when I was, and jibs and stuff, you know, so... Brandon from Third Gen would be cool. Yeah, so this is a reverse spoiler because your episode comes later. But uh, yeah, we we got Third Gen on and okay, yeah. <laughs> awesome man. Those are some good wild boys, you know, those country boys and stuff out there. Um, honestly, the same thing. They just get have access and experience, you know, to some of the best stuff in the world, and it's just you know really res- I respect that they're doing their own things, being themselves, you know. Right. Saying, no hate on that, you know. Even if people don't like that, I don't care. That's really cool to me. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Man, that was a cool dude with me, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I, I definitely got respect for that area in general. Yeah. When it comes to cannabis and you know hash as well. So again, this was Ken Wall. I know we went over our time limit. I apologize, but I'm, I'm so thankful for you know you coming and hanging out. Again, if you want to follow Ken on Instagram hopefully forever <laughs> is k3nnn wall uh, is there anything you wanted to say before we end? no just uh thank you yeah thank you very much uh, for the opportunity uh thank you to tulsa once again this is huge like wasn't not expecting this type of turnout and so many people to travel here yeah if you need anything from me just reach out you know on my instagram and i'll get back to you as quick as i can thank you for the opportunity i, I live a really blessed life to be able to do things like this and yeah, and if you are a part of this community, a part of this scene, just just realize that you know that this is like so cool that you're a, a part of something like this on the on the ground floor, changing. You really do get to be the change for you know our nation, our state. So yeah, just keep that in mind. Um, things are changing quickly, even though they don't seem like it. It's a cool ride, and thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, and thank you everybody for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Hashish Inn. If you'd like the podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. Until next time.